0: Thank you, Jesus. This song talks a little bit about, it almost makes me think of more of a Christmas song. About how the Lord stepped into this world and became our Savior. But, you know, I think a lot of times we spend a lot of time on Christmas songs and Easter songs only at Christmas and Easter. But Christmas and Easter is all year long that's why we are here, because he redeemed, he redeemed us, and so I'm just so thankful for this song, and I just, when I hear the kids sing this song, it's such a pure song of worship from their hearts, so just worship with us as we sing.
1: our hands to Him. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord God. We are here to worship you tonight. Lord, we are here to worship you tonight. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you may be seated this evening. Thank you, praise team, tonight is that second wednesday of the month so we have family wednesday where our children's ministry are well not just children children and youth both uh, youth help out also and uh, they lead us in worship and uh, greet us at the door and help out in technology when they can and so we just uh, want our kids to know at a young age this is their church amen praise god will They're going to stay upstairs tonight because we all get together this one Wednesday night a month, but before I get into the message and what we're going to do here tonight, everybody's looking around, I can tell you this is not a puppet show. I know some people thought it was a puppet show. It's not a puppet show, but you'll see in a second. This coming Sunday... We have a brand new series, just like we're starting tonight. You get two brand new series on the same week. Yes, tonight and Sunday. Sunday, we start a new series. And then uh, Sunday evening is our annual business meeting at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, This is open to anybody. You can all come. There's nothing that we have to hide. You can all come and listen. But only voting members can have a vote and a voice in the meeting. And so if that is you, I need you to see me tonight because there's some things I want to get in your hand that you can pray about. And so um, if, if you're here and if you're saying, well, I'm not I'm not really sure. Well, then come see me again anyway, because we want to make sure that if you're wanting to have a voice at that meeting, that you know what the requirements are for being a voting member. Uh, some people say, well, I don't really care about that. Well, if this is your church, you should care about it. You should care because this is uh, this is the business of the church. And so it's good for you to know what uh, what goes on and. Now I have some more exciting news than a business meeting, and that is your truffle orders are ready downstairs. So if you ordered truffles, go downstairs and pick them up immediately after service. If you did not order truffles, I have a feeling they might have some they could sell you tonight. So you can go down there and buy some. If you have not yet registered for the all-church retreat, I know it's not till November, but you can set up yourself up on a a payment plan. Uh, We we are not having service that first Sunday in November. We are having service off campus, so we're not having it here. And so it's about three hours away, uh, Lake of the Ozarks area. We're going to have a great time. It's that uh, Friday night, all Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, we're having a service, and then lunch before we head back. And so this is for every man, woman, child, whether you're single or married. This is for everybody, every age group. It's going to be so much fun, and uh, it's going to really really build some uh, even more unity in our church. And so we're going to have a great time. So make sure that you sign up for that. You can do that on the Church Center app, or you can, there is a iPad mountain in the foyer. You can actually stop and have someone help you on your way out if you don't want to try and figure it out by yourself. Um, I, do, uh, I do want to give honor to my friends who are in town visiting me, and that's uh, Evangelist Brother Ryan Neer and his wife. They're here just visiting, and we're, we're so <laughs> thankful to have them. And so, uh, as as a uh, ministers of the gospel, I think that's an important. They don't they don't want they don't look around for that honor, but I think it's important to honor, give honor where it's due. And so, thanks, thank, thank God for my friends. And then I received a text to remind me about somebody's birthday today. Where is Jared Munoz? Woo-hoo! Everybody say happy to happy, happy birthday to Jared. Jared's birthday's today. And then Friday our youth pastor, Pastor Chad Condren's birthday. I want you to you got to do the same thing, spin around like that and like, you know. Yes, yes. Last Monday was Brother Kirby's birthday. Next Friday's Rachel Gore's birthday. We got birthdays all over. If you have a birthday in February, raise your hand up. Look at all these birthdays. Wow. Uh, no, no, we won't do that. So mess up your birthday. Praise God. Thank God for birthdays because that means we're still celebrating you. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We are, a, we, are, we are diving into this new series, not Deeper Waters. We're not diving into Deeper Waters. We're diving into a new, new series. And uh, through the years, many people have studied and discussed the Old Testament, Old Testament tabernacle. They've looked at things like God's plan for the nation of Israel, how the tabernacle plan points to the cross of Christ, how it points to God's New Testament plan for our salvation even yet today, and even how that plan can point on how we can approach God daily in our prayers. One of the books I read recently is entitled Heaven to Earth by Pastor Anthony Mangan, of Alexandria, Louisiana, there it is, and uh, he based his book off of scripture, off a prayer outline that uh, his father, the powerful G.A. Mangan, uh, had, and then his own personal experiences, and as I read this book, I thought, you know it'd be good for us to go as a church through the tabernacle plan, it offers some guidance into our prayer lives too, not just some historical history lesson. And Brother Megan says in his book and, 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 and in this series, this is not meant to be a scholarly breakdown of the tabernacle. It's really meant to guide. After all, our Wednesday nights are called Principles for Life. So I'm not teaching history class level 401 tonight. We are looking at how, how do these things apply to where we are today. And so, after all, it's Paul, the apostle, that writes... We can learn from these things. He writes that in the first letter of the Corinthian church in ten one. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And he continues to write about the same experiences. In verse 11, he says, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Okay, that's us. They are examples for us on how we can live our life. And so there are a ton of things that we can learn from Old Testament accounts of Israel and her history. And the tabernacle is one of those things. And so as we launch into this, the series title is The Tabernacle and our approach to God, the tabernacle, and our approach to God. And tonight, we're looking at the details and the plan. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for every man, woman, child, everybody who's tuned in online, who's here presently with us. God, that you would just use your word to really impact our lives, that things that we look at, Lord, even the things that we have built here today, that this will bring your biblical truths and the story alive, Lord, I pray. Jesus, just speak to us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you consider yourself to be a melancholy personality or, in other words, you are detail-oriented? Raise your hand. Raise your hand up high. Do me a favor. Stand up. If you say, I am detail-oriented, I am a detail-oriented person, all right? Everybody look around. These are my fellow detail-oriented people. Yes, thank you for that. I actually expected there to be a few more, but that's that's all right so I always joke i don't know how you all feel. I always joke that it's both a blessing and a curse because it's a blessing because man we get we get we we we, we catch things and we help things stay organized and it's and it's and it's and it's, and it's good, but then Some of you, I talked to you, you laughed. We had our parking lot resurfaced and striped. And I walked in, I was driving past the, through the parking lot in the lower level. I didn't see him do it. I don't know anything about it. I just know that I knew what the cost was and I knew how long it was going to take him. And so I came around the backside and I said, that first stall looks a little thinner than what it was last time. Everybody that i said that to thought I was absolutely out of my mind. I have lost it. I'm crazy, whatever. So then I talked to Brother Sammy, who kind of oversaw this, and he said, Yeah, actually, there's a reason why we could fit another spot in if we were to make one smaller and move them all down that way. So we had that first one because it was a handicapped spot anyway. And so we made a little small. And and I'm like, how did I drive through and pick that? I don't know how these things happen, but sometimes it drives you nuts. It's not all good. And my fellow melancholies, can you raise your hand? Is there anybody? Do you feel that way that sometimes being detail-oriented actually drives you crazy? Anyone? All right. Some of the same hands still went up. Good to know. But here's where we get to rejoice because this is the one time we can say, hey, maybe we're like God in that area. We don't get to say that very much. So I'm going to take it when I can. But do you know God's a God of detail? Very much. More detail-oriented than any of us. Because science tells us there are more than 100 million stars in our galaxy alone. There may be more than 125 more galaxies in the universe equal to the amount of stars. And the Bible says this about God, Psalm 147.4. It says, he counts the stars and calls them by name. How great is our Lord, his power is absolute, his understanding is beyond comprehension. That is detail-oriented. Walk through a garden, a forest, or just go to purchase shrubs in the spring. When we finally get rid of this snow and you go to purchase shrubs in the spring, you're going to see all kinds of, you can walk in and if you're not detail-oriented, you know, you might say, I just want one of the green plants. I want, give me, give, give me any one of them. But they are different and they, some are partial shade and sun and some grow, they get little tones of yellow, different shades of green and some flowers, some don't. And you will see all these different, God is a detail-oriented God. He created all of them. And when God gives his plans for covenant for the way people would be saved throughout scripture, he's not going to have creation and millions of stars and know them by name and then come to our way of being saved. And, And like society wants to say today, just believe in a form of a higher being and I'll believe in my form of a higher being. As long as we believe in a higher being, doesn't matter who it is, what they did, what their name is, you're saved. I don't think so because everything we see in precedent is he's always been in the details. He's always been the one that, that spells things out. No, in the ark, he doesn't say, build a boat, make sure it floats. He says, uh, use gopher wood, um, make it this wide, this long, this high. Put the window right here. He, he, he gives such detail. Circumcision in Abraham. On this day, you're going to take every man, child. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to be a token of the covenant. This tabernacle plan we're about to look at. Everything was detailed, and even his plan for salvation today, he does not just say believe in a higher being. He says, hey, I'll tell you what, I died on a cross so your blood can be applied, my blood can be applied to your life. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and I'm going to put my spirit inside you, and you're going to have evidence that it's there. You're going to speak in tongues. What beautiful details. The Bible itself contains 66 books by more than 40 writers, spans 1,600 years. The Bible is evidence of God's attention to detail. It is the inerrant and fallible word of God. We shouldn't be surprised when it came time for God of heaven to have a physical dwelling on this earth that he would be very specific about the home in which he was going to dwell. Think about it. Who here has ever built your own home? Anyone? All right. Not necessarily you picking up the hammer and saws, but you paid to have someone build your own home. So not many, there's a handful of you, but you think if you ever build your home, you choose the builder. Chances are you don't say, hey, you know what, honey, I want to build a house, and you jump on Craigslist and say, who's available to build me a house tomorrow? No, 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 no. You're going to speak to a, a, an architect and the builder and the plans and the dimensions and the style of the cabinets and the flooring. And, you know, you start to realize, hey, I can put these cheap cabinets in till you slam them shut once with the kids and they fall off the hinge or they go right through the cabinets. But then if you say, well, I want the solid wood cabinet. No, I want the custom cabinets. Man, you can put $40,000, $50,000 just in your cabinets, The color shingles and front door that you have. The landscaping. The type of garage doors. What kind of hardware do you want on your cabinets? You could save money by not having any hardware. Do you want crown molding on them? And the list goes on the carpet. All of these decisions. And every melancholy, detail-oriented person is stressing right now, thinking, I'm never going to build a house. This will take me forever. That is the one part about building a new church that just... Stresses me, I'm thinking, I'm going to be up all night trying to make these decisions. I'm going to have to have a committee that helps so that we can move things along. So when God decides to meet with his people on earth to dwell with or to tabernacle with, he says in Exodus 25, 8, he says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings. Exactly, exactly exactly. According to the pattern that I will show you. And I will tell you, that is a lot more challenging than you even realize. I had helpers. Andrew and Whitney Cannon helped me build all these. No, 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 no. That, that's not correct. They just did it. Help, help me build it? Sounds like I was involved in the process. So let me be, 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 be straight. So they helped. But you know what? We miscommunicated on one piece, and we looked, and we said, oh, we got to we gotta cut the legs down a little bit further on this piece. I mean, just in the transfer of information, it had to be done exactly the way God laid it out to be. And this right here, we wanted you to see, and I'm going to explain, I'm going to talk about all this a little more. We wanted you to see what this was like in size and dimensions, but in no way, in no way is this... Exactly like what they had. They had skilled artists and craftsmen that, that designed things by hand. And you could just try to imagine, me and Andrew were talking about that, about how much time and energy that would have done and taken. They Even the priestly garments had to have certain colors and certain you know, uh, openings in the, in the head, and you would, the tapestries were, were put together in a certain way. It wasn't just the dimensions. It was everything. He was in every single teeny tiny detail. And, and, and the colorists that just want to get things done, the type A personalities, this would have driven you nuts. Let's just get it done. No, no, no. Actually, no. The wrong color is in, interwoven in that, that thread right there. No, but you had to do it exactly the way he did it. But thank you to Andrew Whitney for helping make this nice. But these pieces of furniture, they're not exactly like they were. For instance, we used yellow paint instead of real gold. You know, I thought Andrew and Whitney we were gonna Andrew and Whitney. I thought they were gonna have real gold all over their house. You know, and that they were just gonna. But we used yellow paint instead of real gold, and we didn't add loops for the poles so they could carry into the furniture. It wasn't elaborate handcrafted like it was back then, but part of that is because me and my brilliant ideas didn't give them very much time. They could. They could handcraft some things, but instead, they spent about $60 to make what's here, and the Israelites, guess what they gave? When it came time, all of the supplies came from the people themselves. And they gave a total of gold equaling 2,193 pounds of gold. Silver, 7,545 pounds of silver and 5,310 pounds of bronze. So, if you guys want to bring that next week, Andrew and Whitney will make this look so much different. Seriously, though, this is why we're, we're halfway through our stewardship campaign, and we invited all of you to be a part of that. That is biblical. The Israelites sacrificed, and the Bible says they gave whoever was willing to give from their heart, and many of you have responded. If you're here and you say, I haven't responded to that yet, there's a year left. You can still make a pledge and say, I want to be a part of building the new tabernacle, so to speak. And so God chooses a deliverer to lead his people out of the Egyptian bondage. And they, they head off on a journey toward their land of promise. They had been in Egypt, a land of sin, for 430 years. But God says, I'm delivering my people. I gave them a land of promise. And along that journey, though, there's some complaining. There's some disobedience. And they even form a golden calf along the way and begin to worship that while Moses is up on a mountain getting commandments from the Lord. But God, he loves his people so much that instead of just destroying them and starting over like he did with Noah's Ark or Sodom and Gomorrah, God gives Moses a plan for restoration, for repentance, for a way to make things right. And those plans were initially a tent of meeting and then a tabernacle. And this tabernacle, it was such a special place, this tabernacle was, not only in Israelite history, but just in what happened there and what it represented. Exodus 33, 7 says, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And now, if you catch that, what do you mean set the tent of meeting up some distance from the I thought God dwelled among his people. Know that this passage, it actually predates the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was something separate. Now, everybody refers to tabernacle tent of meeting is the same, but the tent of meeting was actually before he goes up a second time after he smashes the golden idol and golden calf. Initially, that tent of meeting was outside the camp. Before the tabernacle dwells inside the camp. And so he sets it up some distance from the camp, and everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. Now, you can imagine, I would love to think they all just loved God and they wanted to be around God's presence. But based on what we just read, they all got to make a request. And so when it was time for him to go with the request, oh man, hopefully that's not us. Hopefully we don't just gather around and we're looking for, to see what happens with our requests. And so it says, they would all, until Moses disappeared inside, and as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Could you imagine talking to God just face to face like this? Afterward, Moses would return, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, the son of Nun, would remain in the tent of meeting. It was outside the tent, but Moses has this remarkable experience and Jehovah instructs Moses after he after he smashes and he had come down and that those that first tablets are he breaks the golden calf and and Jehovah instructs Moses to recreate tablets and once again meet him on the on the side of Mount Sinai it was during this second encounter on Mount Sinai that God gave Moses his plans for a tabernacle to be built to house his presence in the midst of right in the middle of his holy people. Just like we read here, all of the tribes would center around, but in the middle, their whole entire life had to be centered around God. That'll preach right there. And so Jehovah's detailed plan even organized for them exactly how the, te- the, 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 the camp was su- supposed to be set up. Now, can you imagine this, all right? Keep in mind, this camp who here has ever gone on an impact student ministry camping trip? This was not that camp. They weren't just calling ahead saying, Hey, uh, is, uh, is uh, Lot 34 available next to the water at Stocksdale's Park? Because that's my favorite one. That was not it. Not even as large as just our uh, upcoming all-church retreat. This camp, imagine... Pastor Chad and Sister Tiffany, that you guys had to put a camp together comprised of 12 tribes numbering more than 603,550 men over the age of 20 who were ready to go to war. This number doesn't even include women, children, disabled, or men under the age of 20, and it didn't include the Levite the Levitical tribe and priesthood, because they weren't counted among the warriors. It was estimated by some scholars that the actual number of people in the camp may have been closer to 3 million people or more. So plan that camp for us. Imagine 3 million people coming into Liberty. I know it feels on Sunday afternoon when you're trying to go get lunch somewhere, it feels like 3 million people. All the surrounding communities... They, they have a revelation that liberty is the greatest place to live and be and shop and eat. And so they all come here and then you go and say, hey, how much is a table for four? They're like 45 minutes, 55 minutes. And you're like, are you serious, right? Like we live here. We should get primo spots before these surrounding communities. But you see, imagine if 3 million people converged in our area, our resources would be gone you think, you think the water and milk on a grocery store shelf before a snowstorm is bad, like the one we have now. Um... But for them, when resources got depleted, they would break down the camp and they would move to the next location. Their movements, though, were not just directed by whether they ran out of milk or not. Their their movements were directed by a pillar of cloud or a a pillar of fire, a cloud that was a manifestation of the, the spirit leading them. Exodus 13, 21 says, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire and this allowed them to travel by day or night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Could you imagine? Anybody, have you recently asked God to show you something or give you direction on something? I mean, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be awesome if tonight when you leave, there's like a pillar of fire above your car. And it just starts to move. And you're like, oh, come on, get the kids in. Buckle up, buckle up. You start that car and, and you're just driving and just, I mean, you'd have to keep your eye on the road, of course. They'd have to have a new GPS thing, you know, like taking your, well, you know, the warning sign. Taking your eyes off the road can cause accidents. You have to click OK on your little screen. It would say watching the pillar of fire too intently will cause accidents. You have to click OK. But just imagine driving and being like, oh, turn left. Like, there, there's no GPS. Like, the pillar of fire is the GPS. That's amazing. And that's what it was for them. And when God calls them, he says, build me a tabernacle so I can dwell among my people. He says, pay attention to every detail. Exodus 25, 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept their contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here's a list of sacred offerings you may accept gold, silver, bronze. Blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins, fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamb, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant insects, incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. See, if we're going to build something great, God has a plan that when you're going to build something great, it comes from the people so that we all own it together. That's exactly why we're in a campaign. I'm not even preaching campaign, but these are so vital things that I want to point out. God was specific in his list of supplies, though. Jehovah demanded their best, their first fruits. This was not going to be a tabernacle built with leftovers or secondhand materials. And it wasn't going to be assembled by second-rate craftsmen. That's why I didn't build this stuff tonight. Every dimension from the spacing of the tent post to the spacing of the hooks to hang the draperies was specified. Every piece of material and instruction for building it and fastening it was specified. You could not just toss out the instructions like you did. You know, you ever buy a bookcase from Walmart or Ikea? I recently put together a bookcase from Walmart, and that is the most irritated that I have been in the last several years of my life. Not because of the instructions, but because has anyone ever put together a Preston form bookshelf and you try to take the little nails and, and, and hit the hit the backing of the bookshelf onto the Preston form? What has anyone done? Can can I just can we just stop here? for example? Has anybody ever done this? Did anyone just about want to scream and shout? I mean, am I the only one with anger issues? OK, I'm glad there's a few people. You know what I learned? You get what you pay for. I get. I keep learning this in my life over and over and over again. This is therapeutic for me. And I'm trying to tap in these little tiny nails, and then I'm like, okay, I get it. And I go to stand the bookcase up, and I didn't hit it into the pressed and wo- wo- form wood perfectly enough, so it literally split the wood, and this in the inside of the bookcase is just busted. I still need to see somebody about this. But you see, when you're with God as a planner, you can't just say, "Hey, I get the basic blueprint, and then you throw the It's like getting the, something from Ikea, you know? Here's the instructions. You just throw them away because you're like, I know how this goes. You can't do that with God's stuff. He's like, I want this. I put the nails here. I want it this wide, this high. Use this material. Put the threads here. Here's, here's the things that you build it out of. Everything had a detailed plan. And so a cubit, a cubit. Everybody hold up your arm like this. A cubit was the distance of the average man's hand from elbow to top of finger. That's about a cubit. You learned something today. If you said, I wish this guy would stop talking, I'm not learning. Now I guarantee you learned something if you didn't already know that. So that's a cubit. So if we say, wow, how big is this part of the door? Well, it's a little more than a cubit. A cubit on an average man's hand, arm, is 18 inches. So when the Bible says 14 cubits, and you can, you can begin to do the math. And so the standard measurement is 18 inches. Based on that number, I want to do this today before we leave, because all this, this first lesson, this is the overview for what we're going to be covering over the next several weeks. We're going to look at these things, how to pray through the tabernacle. We're going to look at these various things. But I want you to get the, the scope and the idea of this. I wish we had the space in our church to set up the tabernacle the way it was set up in the Bible. But the problem is, is this would be in the church foyer. Do you see a problem? If we knocked out the bathrooms, it would work. But then we'd have other issues, but it would be like going back to that century. But in order to do that, you had to go outside the camp. And Never mind, that's just another lesson. Based on that number, the entire footprint of the tabernacle, I'm not talking about the tent. I'm talking about the outer court of the tabernacle was 150 feet by 75 feet. Now, why did we do this today? Because I know if I say 150 feet by 75 feet, does anybody get a great picture in your mind of what that is? Yeah, and and all the construction builders and, you know, Andrew and Craig Tussing and them, yeah, they're like, yeah, of course. The rest of us that don't construct things for a living are going, uh... Well, I know a basketball court's got to be... No, well, that's a different thing. So this church... Anybody have a clue how big this church is? This church is 106 foot 8 inches long by 48 foot 8 inches wide. So the outer court is 150 feet, so it's what, 46 feet, 44 feet, something longer than this church, the outer court, and wider, uh, 75 minus 48, what do we got, 20 something, wider, so the outer court is bigger, quite a bit bigger than this whole building, now. Try to envision that the size of the outer court that I just described, and now try to envision the inner tabernacle, the actual tent portion. You know how big that is? I tried to help you. Now, again, this is not a perfect science. We didn't put gold on our altars, and there was not an American and Christian flag in the book of Exodus. Exodus. I know everybody, you know, people tend to think, Jesus, we're going to see him in heaven, and he's going to be this white-skinned man with brown hair, and that's not going to happen. Guess what? <laughs> he was born in the Middle East. He was a Jewish man. Like, he probably won't look like an American. But I just shook some of your worlds right now, and you're just, <laughs> it's going to take you some time to get over that. But if you look at this, look at that post sticking up from that right between the tussings. Don't let it come between you guys. <laughs> and right over here to here to here this is the size of the tent, the tabernacle. So he had quite a bit of room in the outer court. And this was the size of the tent which we call the tabernacle. The tabernacle was 45 feet long by 15 feet wide by 15 feet high. If you see where the drywall hits the wood ceiling right here, that's nine feet. So the sides of the the, the tabernacle were six feet higher than this outer wall. And so some of you are sitting inside. Some of you are sitting inside the tent. The rest of you out in the desert heat. So we see where people are inside the tent. If you want to move, you can move your seat right now. Get inside the tent. (laughs) Graham is laying, you're right on the line, man. You might have one foot in and one foot out. That'll preach too. Some of you guess what are even sitting are even sitting inside the holiest of holies <laughs> which would be about right here to about you left your husband outside the tent but you're you're probably inside the tent to about right there, would be inside the holiest. But but you you would come in because the way that it was set up is you would walk in and there was a brazen altar. Now, this should be in the church foyer. Let's walk through this so you get a scope of this. This would be in the church foyer. Everybody watch. We don't have the fancy stuff that puts me on the screen so you can turn your head. I know we're capable of that, but we're not doing it yet. So, If the altar of sacrifice would be out here, and then the brazen labor. The sacrifice is where you killed the animal and the blood was shed. Then there was a place of washing and cleansing. And then you would come into the tent. And the first portion of this tent, there were three things. My goodness, you guys are pretty pretty awesome. I put on a little weight. All right. So... So this is the inside of the tent and then in here you would have your, to your right, as you entered in, it was the table of showbread. The altar of incense would be right in front of the veil that housed the the Ark of the Covenant and then over here would be your light. And now everything has dimensions except for the brazen laver and the light. And so... This right here is an exact replica of what we would anticipate and what it would look like, except for imagine it. I would imagine it. There was no dimensions given on this. But if it needs to light a whole area, I would anticipate it being bigger than this. (laughs) I would anticipate it looking more like that. But this is the exact way with the six, uh, with the three on each side, one in the middle. This is what it would look like. Matter of fact, if you've ever been to Israel... Pastor Chad has seen one in a glass case that they anticipate when they start allowing animal sacrifices again. That's the one they're going to use inside the temple. And it's huge. It's more like that size. But this would be to your left as you entered that room and it would light up the whole place. This right here would be in front of you. This was the altar of incense. as prayers coming up before the Lord and it did have the... the, the, the horn corners, and this is where the incense burned. And then to your left, as you came in, you would have, I'm sorry, to your right, you would have a table of showbread, and this would be in that holy place, not the holiest of holies, but the holy place, that first part of the inner court uh, the first part of the, the tabernacle, and bread and sustenance would be there. And the only other thing that didn't give a size, dimension, was a raisin laver, a place of washing and cleansing. This is a super nice bowl on a table. Probably not so much like this. I would imagine, even though we don't have the size, that it would look something like that because they needed to wash their hands and their feet. So I doubt, I wanted to get a bird feeder, but uh, I doubt they'd have a bird feeder this high that you'd have to. There was probably something like this that you would be able to wash your feet easily and then wash your hands easily. My guess it would look something like that size. But this represents that, a place of washing and cleansing. And when you came in, the first thing, though, seven and a half feet by seven. What, what's the biggest thing here? Because when you go behind the veil, you had your Ark of the Covenant. But what's the biggest thing here? It's the place of Sacrifice. Man, does that speak to us? We all want the provision, the sustenance. We all want to be in the presence of the Lord. But the very first thing, there's always room for more sacrifice. This was the first place that would have been back there before you entered the tabernacle, entered that tent. Imagine trying to get that animal sacrifice. There was a, a screen there. And fire would be going. I mean, Andrew talked about that. Just imagine the amount of wood that would have been required there in the Middle Eastern desert to keep a fire burning to consume animal sacrifices. There had to be preparation. Do you know how many times people probably were like, man, this is crazy. We're burning all this wood. Go get more wood. I just, you should see my kid's face sometimes when I have a fire in my house. I'm like, go grab me more wood. Like I just asked him to build the house over again. My. And so I didn't see my mom in here. I was going to say they don't make hard workers like they used to, but she would have just rolled her eyes. But <laughs> but uh, imagine the amount of wood. It, it, to us, we say, that's this preposterous. That's crazy. It doesn't matter what you think is crazy or inconvenient or foolish or out of this world. When God has a plan, that's the way he wants it. And so they kept the fire going. And imagine trying to get that. And there were four corners with these on, partially to hold the sacrifice on. But then there's another story, too, about crying out to God. And we'll look at that later. But there's always room on the altar. Look at the size of this thing. Look at the size. Because you know what? We fly through these dimensions, especially if you only read King James I know some people think you can only go to heaven if you read King James. Well, I hope I'm still gonna go because I've read King James, but I'm reading other ones too. But when you read about cubits, you're just kinda like, ah, you fly through it. But the reason we took time to do this is look at this. This was it. We we sometimes imagine the Ark of the Covenant to be this massive piece of furniture. This was the size of the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat was up there where you pour, poured the blood the, from the sacrifice. And then you wouldn't touch it. You had the poles and they would carry it. But these are the dimensions. Other than the light, other than the the, uh, the, um, uh, the golden candlestick and the laver of water. Those are the only two that we're not sure of the, the, the dimensions. Everything else is the dimensions as it's given in the Bible. And that place right there would be the last place because there'd be a veil that would separate that fourth row from the holy place from the holiest of holies. And the Bible says that the high priest would come in once a year not without blood. And between the wings of the cherubims, God would literally meet with with his people. He would literally speak to that high priest as you came into the presence of God Almighty. And there was a A prayer, you see, God established all this through his servant Moses so the Israelites could understand how to come into his presence. Through the design of the tabernacle, God illustrated what is required in order to be able to stand in his presence. After all, they spent the previous 430 years in the pagan nation of Egypt surrounded by sin and false gods. That's why the minute Moses leaves, what did they do? They went back to what they knew for the last four hundred and thirty years. Grab the gold, build a golden calf, let's have a time of worship, and that's what they that that was what was in them. So the tabernacle demonstrates the attributes of God and show us his blessings and how they're made accessible to his people. The explicit instructions for all the construction dimensions, materials, placement. This was for the sole purpose of providing people a place where God could dwell among his people. Adam and Eve brought sin into the world and it separated humanity from God. But God was not going to allow it to stay that way. He presented a plan for fellowship with his creation to be restored, and that's what we're going to be looking at the next several Wednesdays as we tear this down and set it up. And somebody please help Andrew do this. Don't make him do it by himself, okay? One of the greatest ways we do this, though, is through prayer. And prayer is going to be one of the greatest areas of focus in this series. Not just a call to pray. Sometimes, you know, it's just, we need to pray. Why aren't you praying? If you pray more, God would heal you. And we pray. We need to pray. But how to pray. And we see there is a pattern laid out here in the Old Testament tabernacle. But right now, I'm getting ready to, just a moment here, to open up this altar. Not this one. This one. And uh, invite you to join me in a time of prayer. For some of us who've grown up in a church, this is almost just a tradition. It's just a time where we go to the front for a few moments before heading off to our house to get ready for work tomorrow. But I want to pause for a moment and remember God's initial plan. It wasn't about the furniture. It was about... His plan for restoring a relationship. that was initially centered around a high priest and priesthood who would work through ceremonial steps. But then in Hebrews 4, he says, let us therefore become or come boldly unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy in our time of need. We can in just a moment stand up. And leave our pew and walk toward an altar. And as we begin to speak and life our, in, in, to our life and, our, and share our life with, our, in, with God, he, he welcomes us into his presence. He receives our praise. He hears our voice. He responds with grace. And everything we're getting ready to look at, it's about a loving Savior who wanted broken relationships to be dis, to, that were destroyed to be restored. It's about a God who always wanted his people to be right where he designed us to be in his presence. And so today, I'll close by sharing this story. This was set up, and I was spending time praying in the sanctuary. And I walk around the sanctuary and pray all the time here. I I, I don't, very kind of absent-minded, kind of like some some of us, what we do when we're praying. And I'm just kind of walking around. But then all of a sudden, when this gets in here, you can't help but think different. And I caught myself praying, just like I always do, walking around and going, oh, Lord. And, and you know, when you pray long enough, your, your brain, I'd love to say that every day when I pray by myself, I walk in and I say, oh, mighty God of Israel, Lord Jesus, I take dominion and authority, God. But you know, we're human beings and there's times where you start praying and your mind's going, uh... oh, wait a second. Hey, yeah, I was talking to you. Oh, Lord. And you got to zero yourself in. And I caught myself going like this. Just kind of, and I was absent-minded for a moment. I walked into the holiest of holies. Now, Granted, I understand. It's not the same plan as it was in the Old Testament. I understand that. When you set up the furniture, you know, it made me think about being a high priest. And it made me think about how, if anything, you had to always be aware of of where you were and what you were doing. Not for one moment, could you just zone out and skip the animal or forget to wash or just come in and say, I'm not hungry today. Leave the show bread. I'm, I'm dipping right in. I just want to be in God's presence. There was, I think sometimes we, we just kind of walk in and out of the holiest of holies. We walk in and out. Really take too much thought on it. For them, there was a sacrifice, there was a washing. Then they would enter in right here into this tent. And as they got closer to God, notice they came out. Do you know what? Do you know what a Middle Eastern area with dead rotting carcasses in the middle of the sun probably looked and smelled like? But then all of a sudden, as you crossed into the tent. You entered a place where incense filled the room, and you came out of the heat, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere just changed. It looked better. It smelled better. And there's a message there, because as you go on your journey, you start off and things in your life, they might stink, putrid, nasty things that have come in, but as you continue your journey... And your growth and your growing toward Jesus Christ, day in and day out, things start to start to look better. They start to smell better. The the, the scenery starts to change. All of a sudden, you know what? It doesn't it doesn't smell like bars anymore. Now it smells a little bit different. Because I've started growing, I've started walking away from some things that I used to, that used to be a big part of my life. and, and I come into, his, un, into this place where there's showbread and, and a light and, and, and there's incense that's going. And I just keep going on my journey until imagine that moment when you hit this point and you're standing in front of a veil. And you know that on the other side of that veil is the place where God said, "Come here with blood." And I will commune with you. I will meet with you as a royal priesthood. And here we are in 2020. We are the royal priesthood, as First Peter says. And we come up to this veil, and we go into the presence of God Almighty. Imagine what that would have felt like as you were carrying blood. I don't know what they carried it in. I imagine some kind of bowl, something. And you begin to approach that altar, of, or Ark of the Covenant, that is right here where this altar is, and you just... You just walk and you come up with your blood. and You begin to pour it on the mercy seat and God starts to commune with you. And you're literally in the presence of God. I can imagine that 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 high priest wasn't like, man, I got to get out of here. I got so much to do today. I can imagine that at that one time of year that he was sitting there going, I just don't want this to end. I just want to be in your presence forever. And maybe that's when God says, you know what? That's exactly what I want from you too. And that's why eventually I'm going to prepare a place so that where I am, you also can be because I have that same thing in mind for us where we can be in one another's presence forever and ever and ever and ever. And this tabernacle was the beginning of that plan to restore what sin destroyed. But tonight as I get ready to open this altar, I just wonder if we could just, just remember That it's not just about in and out of the, in and out, but it's about being intentional, knowing that every step that I take, I enter into the presence of God, that God actually will commune with me so much to the point he actually puts his spirit inside of me and I become his tabernacle. That is powerful. And that's something that if we're not careful, they only taste that once a year. So I doubt that they were looking at their clock. We get to taste it all the time. So we come in and out of that holy place. We get come in and out of the Ark of the Covenant where God communes with us. And we can do it absent-minded. I'm telling you, come here during the week sometime and pray with this stuff. And you'll all of a sudden start to see, I'm in the tent. I'm in the holiest of holies. Whoa! I'm actually, today when I went to walk away, I'm like... I'm getting ready to leave the holiest of holies. And you kind of would cross that threshold as you would leave that place. And I think about today, it doesn't really mean too much to me because I'll just talk to you throughout the day or tomorrow. And, and, and but, but then with, for them, what would that have been like as they crossed over that place? And they were like, we'll do this again later. So tonight, when I get ready to open this altar, Willie, what I'm I'm inviting you to do is to do something that the high priest could only do one time a year. I'm inviting you to come in to the holiest of holies in the presence of God Almighty and commune with him as he communes with you. So I invite you to find a place to do that tonight.